now still in love with the X, the podcast for anyone who has ever been to Exeter University. Stand by for your hosts, Alex Borchardt, and first, Tony Hall. And episode seven, a creep, a potter, and a Santa. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to Still in Love with the X, a podcast for all friends, past, present and future of Exeter University. My name is Tony Horn. I'm a ghostwriter and podcaster in Lancashire, England, in Exeter, Devon, also still in England. Last time we looked is my friend. Alex Borsharp, and as ever, a couple of loose ends to tie up. If you are following in sequence these episodes, we appreciate you might just pick one at random and zone in on it. Two things we've not mentioned so far the inverted commas album cover for the podcast, so the picture uh, that accompanies it. Shed any light on that, Alex, because that was sent to me because I, throughout my life and my career, I've not kept a lot of photo archive. And obviously, it's a lot easier nowadays. You create a lot more disposable archive, too. Well, I completely forgotten about the existence of that photo until a very good mutual friend of ours who lives in New Jersey sent it over. And I believe it was taken in the Ram in 1992 after a very long, probably Sunday evening session, because one question that stands out, why are we holding half-pint glasses? I mean, when do you ever see a half-pint glass in a student bar? And I think, I seem to recall the reason we ordered half-pints was because I found them hilarious. I'd been to a bar uh, back home. Uh, I'd, I'd just seen somebody come in and order a half pint, probably because he was driving, very sensible. But they just look ridiculous. A, a half pint of Guinness just just looks like sort of you know, Playmobil stuff. I think I know the answer, and I don't reckon, by the way, it was a long session, because as we've previously touched on three pints and you're anybody's back in the day, but I think the half pint glass thing at Exeter was down to a fashion element and a lot of people used to buy Newquay Brown, Newcastle Brown Ale, and they would always take a half pint glass with it. So I think it might have been as as simple as that. Newquay Brown was always in bottles, wasn't it? Yeah. Because I can guarantee it wasn't was a swift half so you can get to your lecture on time. Did you ever just say, Oh I'll only have a half so I can get to the lecture theatre on time? (laughs) Which for you was I think only about ninety seconds walk from the ramp. It's the building next door rather conveniently. But, uh, yes, there was obviously a hilarious reason at the time why we ordered the half-pint glasses, and it was so noteworthy that a photo was taken of it. But, yeah, looking at various options, that does does just seem like the obvious contender for the album cover, as you call it. And safe to say that picture is, we understand, horrendous. And as we unpick some memories, you know, happy and sad, I hope you can appreciate that we do still have the ability to send ourselves up by making that the album cover. And a brief word on the title, which, you know, perhaps you should have mentioned this in the first episode. The title is, I won't say borrowed, but inspired. 
um, from a terrific title that was uh, a book I ghost wrote for the first winner of the X Factor, Steve Brookstein, who won in 2004. A decade later, we write... I have to check. <laughs> getting o getting over the X. So I think over a tapas in Haslingdon in Lancashire, Alex and I settled dryly on still in love with the X. And without a shadow of a doubt, the illusion that is Exeter University does cast a spell of wonder and happiness over you. And we, in that process, overlook things like getting a bit pissed off by week eight. You know, that just doesn't, is erased from the memory bank, isn't it? Really? And we remain still in love with the ex. Today, let's pick up on something that was certainly mentioned in either the previous or the previous but one episode. And again, this is a subject that we will clearly start and never, ever finish. So our intention with episodes like that is to revisit them in subsequent terms. What about the alumni of Exeter University? Either people that were in our slipstream or, broadly speaking, across the decades we became aware of. And the starting point for this was Tom York, Radiohead, Lemon Grove Disco on a Friday night. Now, Alex, one of the really easy things to do here would be to say, oh, yeah, I remember Tom. And you're re remembering him retrospectively, having been aware that Radiohead may have taken its roots somewhere in Cornwall House. But I actually do remember him. I take it you do, too. And I think the reason he was memorable, because he was never really seen speaking to anybody, he was quite a recluse, was Expose, the, the great student magazine that was founded in 87, was going strong by the time we were there, and I'm glad to say is still going strong today. In fact, it's returned to having a print edition. It went online for several years, so you could only access it if you had a guild login. But now, print edition, anybody who's visiting campus can pick up a copy of Expose. It's still a great read. But it always said things like Club Tropicana with DJ Tom. And he was notable because it was Tom with an H. And so he was also well known to music aficionados as the lead singer of a band, I think, called the Headless Chickens, was it? Or was that just an associated band? The, camp, the main campus band was the Headless Chickens. Never saw them, never heard them. But I yes, did. It, I, I saw them, yeah. I saw them. Yeah, they were terrific. Uh, there was one in four years at Exeter. I can only recall brackets going to brackets, but one gig of student bands on campus. Um, the Headless Chickens performed. I think I knew and possibly trained one of the members at the university radio station. And Dave and the Hats also performed. Uh, another story for another day, but that was a band fronted by Dave Notman Watt, who was, I think, half Portuguese. I was at school with him. He was a year above, and he he had a certain performance value about him. But I, I, I've been unsure to this day if Radiohead and the Headless Chickens were linked. Are you are you sure sure about that? 
No, this is lost <laughs> in the time. Um, they just both have the word head in, I suppose. No, you just heard a lot about headless chickens and you heard about Tom York. He's, there's a lot of myths about him, as you, as you get with any rock star, I suppose. One is that the university radio station, I think it still says, it says on the Wikipedia page that notable alumni include Emma B., who uh, was on XTV and becoming a radio presenter, was never with the radio station. And no. Tommy York, he was far too cool to be involved with the University Radio Exeter. He would DJ at the timepiece, perhaps, but he wouldn't have set foot in the radio station. But you did mention campus bands um, otherwise. I mean, talking about the Headless Chickens, and sometimes they'd be involved with the radio station. I think it's natural that if somebody's in a campus band and they're used to spending time in a recording studio, then they're often going to have a crossover with the student radio station and various musicians have dabbled in student radio over the years including back in i think 1980 a punk band called the scabs which was exeter's answer i suppose to uk subs a bit more rough than the clash but they uh, they released an ep uh, the main track side one track one was called aim rebuilding and it, I just remember the chorus, a rebuilding, a rebuilding, what a waste of time. And on the B side, there was a track called URE, which was specifically about the university radio stage, which we took great delight in pulling out of the archives and, and playing. And it was all about the experience of being a presenter on the early evening show and having to queue up BBC News, as it was then which would come on a live feed. You'd have to time everything when you're on student radio or any radio station to fit in with the national news that comes in on the hour. So uh, the scabs, whatever happened to them, what I do know is the people who really are into their punk music or are record collectors, remember them with great fondness and they are still talked about in musical circles. See, I had that down as being done by the dead Kennedys, but, it doesn't matter. That was, that, was, um, that was too drunk to... Yeah, thank you. So the truth of mistruths, that is Wikipedia, suggests that Tom York formed Radiohead whilst at Abingdon School in Oxfordshire. He was offered a deal by Island Records but wanted to go to university first. So here's the line that perhaps uh, brings us full circle. So in 88... Tom York rocks up on campus and performed experimental music with a classical ensemble, played in a techno group called Flickernoise, and played with the band Headless Chickens, performing songs, including future Radiohead material. Wikipedia suggests that the band owe its roots more to Oxfordshire than Devon, but... If you were there, you may well have gone up to Tom in the DJ booth asking for a tune on a Friday night. I'm sure it's one of those things that if you went to the Lemmy, you you must have done that. I don't recall much other than a truncated conversation, which I think was his modus operandi as alex sort of alluded to earlier and for the record and with no agenda i can't i can't stand radiohead and i don't get the whole thing but 
hats off to him for his incredible success. And I suppose at this point, we mentioned the Tom York and Radiohead. As soon as you start to mention other people, you perhaps empower people to make a league table in their head of who is the most famous Exeter University alumni. And that has to be, you know, even if Winston Churchill had gone to Exeter University, it simply has to be J.K. Rowling for a global and sustained effect in literature, film, merchandising, literacy, encouraging people to read, etc., etc. And, you know, I have to get this in on the back of not being a Radiohead fan. I've never read a Harry Potter book either or seen in its entirety a Harry Potter film, but I have been on some Harry Potter rides at some of the theme parks in the States. Go, go I have been on a Harry Potter ride, but I have read the first four books, and as I sell from the case, they are so much better than the film. So one day, you'll be a grandfather. You'll have the chance to read stories to your grandchildren. I thoroughly recommend reading Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and the follow-up books because there's so much detail in them. There's so much fun. The films are great, but there's so much more in the books that they, they couldn't put it all in because it would have been a seven-hour, eight-hour film each time. So, again, uh, the home of all truths, <laughs> which is, in effect, a modern library, although you can't really have an argument with things that are in a library, whereas you can with things that are on Wikipedia. J.K. Rowling applied to Oxford in 82 but was rejected, and she did turn up at Exeter, graduating in 87. So that's two years before Alex and I turned up. And she got a BA in French. And I knew that because we had the same personal tutor who was Martin Sorel uh, or Martin Sorrel. And that's a name that I've seen in, I think, the Sunday Times many times over the years because there's another person of the same name who's very, very successful in business, I think. And I always think it's my personal tutor, Alexa. But he he did tutor, well, the role of a personal tutor is something up for debate anyway because I don't really recall them actually doing anything. But both J.K. Rowling and myself fell under the tutelage of the aforementioned Martin Sorrell. Influences in the books that uh, are recognisable from in and around Exeter. If you drive up the M5, you go past a very boring sounding place called Dursley, which was the name of the horrible family that Harry had to grow up with. His his aunt and uncle look after him after what had happened when he was a baby. You get it mentioned in a place like Ottery St Catchpole, which is obviously a reference to Ottery St Mary, which is one of the most magical places there is, where every bonfire night, that is the place to go for students to experience the huge bonfire, some of the best fireworks you'll see, but above all, the tar barrels. Did you ever go to Ottery St. Mary? Uh, I have been to Ottery St. Mary, but I've not been there at bonfire. Again, filed under episodes to come. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Gandhi Street is a charming location in Exeter. Many say it was the inspiration for Diagon Alley, where the wizards go shopping. Uh, she denies it. 
She cleared up the mess for years. Gandhi Street had been claiming this was the inspiration for Diagon Alley. Who knows? There's perhaps some truth in it, but I think she doesn't want to lend her name to places that that don't quite deserve it. I, th- I think the whole thing, in the same way that Exeter University, in this and every episode, we talk about myths and legends, the whole mystique around that, the, the sensible thing for her to do is to part, explain, and to leave people wondering. There are some things that are obviously explained because, for example, you might get a plaque outside a, a house. And my mother used to live in a place called Martin's Heron, which is near Bracknell in Berkshire. And there's a street um, adjacent to hers, which was a, a Potter house. And that is, there's no plaque, but that's fact. Uh, you can see it. And of course, you'd only have to knock on the door of the people that live there. And they would, <laughs> they would tell you that. But, but actually, brief aside, in San Francisco in the summer, looking for the Mrs. Doubtfire house, lady comes out of the house. The house was sold, I think, maybe 10 years ago. And we begin, is this? And she just goes, yes, and runs off onto her, her run. So, Imagine being in one of those houses, Pinoak Court. Do you know where Pinoak Court is, Alex? That rings a bell, but no, I couldn't place it. A real-life street, Melbourne, Australia, neighbours. Anyway, there you go. J.K. Rowling, what an incredible influence. And if when you talk about alumni from Exeter University, you can have perhaps a mixture of jealousy or a mixture of pride. And most people know her backstory, single mum, writing in a cafe in Edinburgh, as we're told. I'll never meet J.K. Rowling. I'm not going to spend vast time in my life looking at Potter, but I'll tag along on the the coattails of that story because it does make me feel quite good that we walk the same paths and corridors. So anybody who's been a student at X University will inevitably have been to the Odeon Cinema, a typical Art Deco iconic building like you have all over the country. Been there since the 30s. And J.K. Rowling would have been to see, I don't know, Romancing the Stone, Officer and Gentleman, whatever was on in the mid-80s. Back to the Future, probably. You know, you might have sat in the same seat as she did in the Great Hall. <laughs> or in the Odeon, or in the Double Locks, or in the Nobody Inn. Well, isn't that a great line there from Alex? Because one thing that underpins all of this is being in the same DNA zone as some of these people. And at times as well, Alex, literally being in the same room. And the next person I'd like to mention, who we both know a little, although it's been some time, really underlines the naivety that I had when I enrolled to do French and Italian at Exeter because enrolled and often sat next to me or just a few along, a lady called Santa Palmer Tomkinson, who now, of course, is Santa Montefiore and a best-selling author as well and the point on the naivety alex is that in 
Italian conversation in the first year, when a new term starts, inevitably there's a few easy lobs, a gentle warm up. What did you do in your holidays? And <laughs> sat often alongside my pal from school, Christian Vaughan, the two of us previously dubbed cowboys. We would begin talking nonsense and wreaking havoc. And another go-to position would be to discuss uh, the news. And I can recall seeing Prince Charles, who I'm frankly not a fan of, never have been, am not, and will not be, in cloisters where they always went every year in the winter. And we were discussing this, and I think I gave the guy a real slating. And I didn't know that Santa Palmer Tomkinson was King Charles's goddaughter as she sat there all but next to me. Absolutely. Father's been best friends of uh, Prince Charles for uh, for decades. And it's where Charles and Diana used to go skiing, and I think William and formerly Harry and their families, they, they still go skiing to this day. But she was a charming, uh, very, you know, very well-to-do, obviously very well-educated, but she didn't flaunt who she was like her sister Tara Palmer Tomkinson did, where she became a uh, an excessively over-the-top... Um, famous so for being famous. Famous for being famous, um, and then very much got into the drugs and party scene and tragically uh, was lost to the world. But the thing about Santa, she was very down-to-earth. She'd talk about her skiing holidays in, in Klosters and in Switzerland, but she she wouldn't brag about about who, who she was, what the family was. She talked about growing up on Dummer Grange, this wonderful thousand-acre farm in, in Hampshire. But what is lovely to have seen is that she, after graduation, she she had a, a, a trip to, to Argentina. Her mother was Argentinian. And it was there that she became best friends with, and only somebody like Santa would do this, became friends with the person who's now Queen of the Netherlands. So she's she's pretty well connected. Queen Maxima um, Zaraguilla, I think she she has Argentinian background as well. Just say it convincingly, and people will believe you. It's fine. <laughs> okay, Queen Maxima Zaraguilla. Anyway, the kind of life she's had, she could have done all kinds of things, and I, I believe she she spent a few months working in a in a jeweler's or or perhaps a very smart gentleman's outfitters. But she ended up doing, I think, what she'd always wanted to do, and that is right. And you mentioned she's a bestseller. She she's not just a bestseller; I mean, she's a consistently uh, hugely successful resident of the New York Times bestsellers lists. Whenever you go into any bookshop in the UK, you'll tend to find her in the top twenty. She brings out a new novel every year and has done for about twenty five years. She's sold something in the order, well, I think, over a hundred million translated into 40 languages around the world and she sells because she's accessible it's just a good read she's got a whole series of books about her family called the devils which whatever you're into it's it's one of those things that it's, it's just very readable hard to put down that kind of thing all the hallmarks of a bestseller um on the argentina thing now i d don't know the truth here but obviously 
Santa would have done a year abroad. And I, I heard that <laughs> this is probably totally nonsense, but it's somehow it's alive in my mind that she'd actually boarded a flight to Argentina for her year abroad, which is quite extraordinary because most people would do Spain rather than Latin America. I'm true. Um, somewhere in my parents' house, I've got her address in Spain, which I used to write to when she had a, a year abroad. So the Argentinian well, thing after Exeter. The story was, was that in first class, she met the head of the Chilean bank. And yeah, she did. And ended yeah. up walk, working for him or something. But I, yeah. I echo entirely everything Alex said there. And I would be in several classes a week with her. Very pleasant, less Sloney than Sloane's amongst her peers. You can't help if you're born privileged. You can help if you feel entitled. I never really got that from her. She is down to earth and genuine. I mean, I met her. I saw her at a book signing about ten years ago, and she's still exactly the same person. She's not snooty. She's not somebody who will only hang around Sloane. She gets on with all kinds of people, and that's why I think she's very well-informed in the character she develops for the book she writes. I mean, the stories are set in environments that are very well-to-do people on the whole, but she also knows real life as well. An inspiration, I'd say. Still in love with the ex. One of the interesting things, if you set this relationship against others is that sometimes you were in amongst peers who you didn't know their story and it's okay of course to work it out years later there's also a little beauty if you're amongst fellow students and you don't know that they are the son or daughter of somebody famous we alluded in a previous episode to douglas hurd's son being at exeter now i th- I have a feeling his name was Alex. I think he was before our time. I don't really know anything about uh, him, but there are people who, and Santa ticks both those boxes, you, you know, famous for connections that she had at that age, but also therefore famous in her own right. And one person that I did study Italian with and I I never even worked this out for years I studied Italian with a guy called Gavin Scavell whose father I believe was Brian Scavell who was chief sports writer at the Daily Mail for years and Gavin Scavell I think now goes around the world doing franchise cricket tournaments as a tv director so he might be in the west indies for five or six weeks what a gig get it what a gig yeah so i I didn't know him well he had a uh, uh i don't want to say partner in crime because that implies something underhand but you'd often see him with a, a guy i think called marco and the two of them i think were advanced italian because they were both bilingual but uh, he was very much in my midst without being 
aware of it. it was someone that's come up in conversation outside of the podcast that Alex often mentions to me, and I have no knowledge of this, and I do want to ask and find out more, but you keep mentioning some guy from the band Basement Jacks to me. What's all that about? I played their hits on the air. I can't remember any of them. It's just yet another person who you find out later just happened to be at Exeter, I believe, possibly even the year below us. I mean, there were so many people that went to the Lemon Grove that were just people that, that liked the music, hanging out, the whole experience of it. But Basement Jacks, for, for those that don't know, there was probably one of the, the greatest dance acts of the 90s. They've been doing stuff since, but they haven't really uh, had any major hits since then. But for... For two or three years, they they were it for dance music. They had a track called Where's Your Head At that I'm sure you played on the radio at some stage, a couple of others. But, yeah, Felix Buxton, one of the one of the founders, was in Burke's Halls. There's something about Burke's Halls that seems to attract musical people. I think, um, was really? it two weeks ago? That, yeah, well, you, you, had, uh, you had Andy Sinclair talking about Will Young. He was in Burke's Halls. And uh, or I mean all kinds of other people, but so, so too Alex. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of names that are reasonably well known in 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 the musical world. Uh, people went to Exeter. I think there's something about Exeter: the fact that it's just a all round lovely place to go and study, and great place to live. So, I think when parents are, are talking amongst their friends and discussing where would be a good place for for the children to go. They look at they look at Exeter. I mean, case in point, Peter Phillips, eldest grandson of our late Queen, he studied at Ex University, and so did his sister Zara. I didn't know that. Zara Sindel, yeah, they were both at Exeter because it's it's just the right kind of place. We've mentioned a couple of times it's a Sloan University, so the people are from very well-to-do families, but can't quite get the the three A's at A level and perhaps a couple of S levels that you need for some subjects to get into Oxford or Cambridge or Durham, or if you can pull the right strings, St. Andrews. I mean, <laughs> did, did our future King William go to St. Andrews because of his academic background? No, um, there were lots of other reasons he went to St. Andrews, but Exeter seemed like, would have seemed like the right kind of place for the two offspring of Princess Anne. Well, a couple of a couple of universal truths here. We're talking about Exeter University, and anybody else that would do a podcast, whether it be Warwick or Wolverhampton, Northampton or Nuneaton, and remember, there are a lot more universities these days. I mean, I'm really from Chessington, but that's Kingston. Kingston upon Thames is a university. A universal truth: you can find your famous alumni wherever you are but especially at exeter so and can you imagine zara phillips going to bolton or lancaster poly or keel university it just doesn't really seem like the kind of place you'd expect to see them whereas if here and they went to exeter university you think oh yes of course yes i can see but, how that happened but alex i think that's the second point and that is that people with privilege with affluence and you used an interesting phrase there that mummy and daddy might decide where the children might go. I mean, that was never an option for me. I think it's a reasonable assumption that if you come from uh, privilege, you've got less pressure to make a decision about where you might have to head, well, in life, so brackets financially, you might have more time 
to play around in a band or write a novel and possibly more doors will open up for you the higher you are up. People meet each other and they have similar interests and they help each other out in life. I mean, we've mentioned many times in the past the late James Brokenshire. Now, one of his contemporaries was Sajid Javid, who became mayor of London. He was uh, the year below us, I think, maybe the year, uh, maybe even our year. Anyway, he was a contemporary, never noticed him at the time, but Sajid Javid was at Exeter. Guild president Robert Halfen. You look at the list of politicians that went to Exeter, it's huge. Well, I can't find anything specific on Felix Buxton from Baseman Jacks about time at Exeter University. I can find Savvy Javid, of course, as you'd expect. Savvy Javid was born in Rochdale, and if you've ever been to Rochdale, you'll understand why you couldn't board the train to Exeter uh, any quicker, frankly. Also, there are people in our alumni. And we're talking about individuals here that you can recognize even if you didn't know. There are certain people that had a brief moment in the spotlight that you might not be aware of. And I want to mention somebody here who was just a a terrific character, a really bubbly individual, prone to the odd gaffe, which I'll explain, but full of fun. I'll just tell you about some of those moments before I identify the person. We did know her from the university radio station where she introduced the Aerosmith song Love in an Elevator as Love is an Elevator, I think. And the last I heard of her would have been, I'll look up the year for this, but you know how certain news stories are just always on the news for a bit and then they're not. Health scares quite often fit that bill. So this lady was in the Territorial Army at Exeter University, which is, again, something I don't know too much about, but certain people would always disappear. Was it called OTC? Is that correct, Alex? Yeah, it's still going. So she did this and then obviously went in for a career in something to do with the military. And I saw her on the news one Saturday morning in Northumberland commandeering the response to the foot and mouth epidemic and as i type in her name now i can see her fully ordained with multiple medals and i need to i need to click on her page to find out the full story alex do you remember lucy giles of course i do yes so if you're listening to this now you won't know who lucy giles is but she has her own wikipedia reference and deserves a mention i'll read it to you and again it's wikipedia Colonel Lucy Giles is an officer of the British Army's Royal Logistic Corps, the first female college commander at the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, commanding New College where officer cadets spend the second and third terms of the 44-week three-term commissioning course. Giles has been in the British Army for 25 years and has served in Sierra Leone, East Timor, Bosnia, Iraq, Northern Ireland and Afghanistan. She currently serves as the president of the Army Officer Selection Board. She completed her GCSEs at King Arthur's School, Wincanton. Where's Wincanton, Somerset? Yep. And her A-levels at Sexy's School, Bruton. Is is that real or is that Wikipedia sabotage? You know, know, Bruton, Bruton is one of the finest public schools for girls in the country. 
it probably is called Sexy School because Sexy it's, School is named after Hugh Sexy, who in fifteen forty nine blah 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 blah. Uh, her Wikipedia entry closes. She studied biology at the University of Exeter, where she joined the OTC. Well, I think hats off there, and a, a good little category all by herself. Somebody who has served the public, but the public may not know Lucy Giles, the one and only, and a fantastic individual, I think. Um, but what a great story, too. Of course. I mean, back at the end of the 16th century, I don't think the word sexy would have had the same connotations that it did by the time Rod Stewart asked the world if they thought he was. And she was too. <laughs> right. Looking at the time, we have so many people to mention. We'd love to be given a steer on other people to mention. There are Wikipedia pages which tell you about famous alumni, and there are also people listed in what I would call the abyss of university life, and that is the honorary graduates of Exeter University. So we've put that down for a, an episode all by itself. Leading academics of Exeter University, of which there are plenty, and those people who, for some reason, were given an honorary degree. And that reason may well be that somebody on the Guild, you know, high up in the university, simply wanted to meet them. <laughs> in the same way that Alan Shearer has about 50 honorary degrees in, well, not quite, in 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 the northeast of the, the country. Well, exactly. Uh, I mean, how did Brian May become an honorary graduate of Exeter? What has he got to do with Exeter? Maybe Queen played there in 1973. I don't know, but well, you don't really associate Exeter with somebody like that, for example. I couldn't have answered that question half an hour ago, but Tom York <laughs> saw Queen at the age of eight on the telly and said, "I want to be a rock star." Fantastic. I don't even think that's the answer. Right, give us give us one more name from a post-it note of plenty that deserves to... We could actually even open up our own Hall of Fame here. We must remember there's not just the Streatham campus, there's also St Luke's. And one of the greatest educationalists of all time in this country is Professor Ted Ragg, who is very fondly remembered by people in the education world. And he was at St Luke's for many years. But no, I wanted to mention someone called John O'Farrell. Do you know who that is? I do not know who John O'Farrell yeah, is, no. He's, you'll often see him, I mean, he's put out a lot of books. He's quite a, a humorous writer. But uh, if you if you ever enjoyed uh, late 80s, early 90s spitty image, in particular the John Major character, this very grey person, I think we've already mentioned him, uh, with his classic line, more pillaged they are. Well, that was all written by John O'Farrell. He was somebody who, his, his best book he wrote was about 18 years attempting to become a Labour councillor and how incredibly bureaucratic and difficult it was to do anything whatsoever in the Labour Party for a very long time, which is one of the reasons they never managed to organise themselves well enough to get elected until Tony Blair came along and swept the country in 1997. But uh, look him up. I think you'd find him interesting. He was at Exeter. Stephen Delane, sorry, I was only meant to mention, was one of the um, actor who was in The Parole Officer. He was in Game of Thrones. He was in all, all kinds of stuff. He's one of these people. He's played a lot of bit, bit parts. You'd recognise him if you saw him. He was in Exeter about 10, 12 years before we were. The list goes on and on and on. We, we could do 20 episodes on this, but we, we have to be selective. I'm sure we'll return to it perhaps next term. Go on, do a couple more. Oh, okay. Um, 
Infanta Eleanor of Spain. I don't know anything about the Infanta Eleanor of Spain, but she went to Exeter. What about Top Gear? Ah, okay. Well, anybody who's watched Top Gear would uh, would remember a character called the Stig, and they had a lot of fun with the fact they they never revealed who he was, and he even brought out a biography just before Christmas in about. 2008 was it, I think was it called you don't know who i am which nope. is the great line that famous or, people show about the stig <laughs> autobiography with his classic photograph of him wearing a crash helmet uh, it's called ben, ben collins he went to Exeter university wow maybe there's been more than one stig but he was the main stig apparently Alex, there, i think there were two when the triumvirate of laddish this of Clarkson, May and Hammond departed. I've a feeling that there was a new Stig. I have never watched that show. I'm aware of it. There's quite a few things in life that we have opinions about, but we don't actually have any right to have that opinion because we are basing our opinions on third-hand knowledge that's been handed down. Why this- you up? Can I can I tell you? Ask you? Have you ever heard of Sheikh Sultan bin Mohammed Al Kazimi? the ruler of the Emirate of Sharjah. I actually well, have. Um, and I will... PhD uh, at Exeter in 1985. Well, that's actually something that was not drummed into us, but we were all aware of. We go back to 1989, and I say this as a sort of statistical observation rather than anything Anglo-Saxon pumping my chest up, but we were all increasingly aware of the number of foreign students that were coming to Exeter University. And I suppose I would have two thoughts on that, that that's money for the university, but also to reputation for the university. Based on previous reputation, they'd be coming, and enhancing future reputation that they were there. So, crikey, as we speak in every episode, other episodes add themselves to the list. and Foreign royalty academics, I mean, some of these countries never even heard of. Do you know Ahmad Shah of Pahang, the Sultan of Pahang? And Got him on speed dial. Constitutional monarch. Well, he not only that, he was the head of state of Malaysia. Wow. He studied at Exeter. So, you know, I think there is there is somebody in the expat community who has a very good relationship with Exeter who, who recommends it as the place to go if you're going to come to the UK. You're going to get the best all-round education. But I have no doubt large amounts of money tend to be involved with these things. Benjamin Leavesley. Amy Collins, apologies if that's inaccurate, born 13th of Feb 1975, is a British racing driver from Bristol. In many categories, he's competed from Formula 3 and Indy Lights to sports cars. I'm reading this, of course. Known for not being known on Top Gear and Top Gear Live, but also for driving James Bond's car in Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale, and Eve Moneypennies in Skyfall. I think what you have to take from this is that in one of those little rooms in La Frauda or Doriad or somewhere else, there was a guy who dreamt of racing cars fast. There was a lady who couldn't have dreamed that writing her first novel would lead to all the others and everything that followed. And there was a rock star that the world would love, amongst others. Final person i'd like to mention today i'll give you a clue and the clue is in the question who am i about to mention hmm. is that your clue from that 
I don't know, Fiona Shackleton, Baroness Shackleton, personal solicitor to Prince William and Prince Harry. God, I bet she's kept busy. No, somebody else. She went to Exeter. In my final year, which meant that I'd been back two years after doing second year in Italy, the returning Italian and French students who'd spent their third year abroad would be in your new group in the fourth and final year. So that meant you were with some people that you had known for a considerable period of time, relatively speaking, and those who were new to the party. Now, what I recall about this particular individual is that I don't recall her immediately. So I don't recall clocking her immediately. And you do clock, in small Italian groups of 20, you do clock the new people. And, of course, as she may get asked questions in tutorials, you would be referred to by your Christian name, unlike the secondary school I went to. And it was only and it was only some time later, and again I can't recall how this came to light, but only some time later that her true identity became apparent. And part of that, and forgive me if this is painting an inaccuracy, was that I do not recall her being present at all of the lectures, something which was most amusing because I think she got a better degree than myself and my friend Christian Vaughan, who was the one that revealed her hand to me. This lady, do you know who it is yet? I don't know. This lady goes under the name that is her name, and her name is Aminta, Aminta Townsend daughter of pete townsend <laughs> there you go so many musical connections well i've just typed her name in and she seems to have an imdb page what she's known for phantom of the opera casino royale it's, i have to check if this is the same one but she is that certainly is an aminta townsend but she is the daughter of pete townsend who well who's the front man of the who really was it roger daltrey or pete no, townsend roger daltrey was the singer but pete townsend wrote pretty much all the songs he is the driving force behind the who are you a fan of the who i am actually very big fan of the who particularly their musical tommy now that that was quite a surprise. I was in New York once, and my uh, my then partner said, "Why don't we go to a musical?" I said, "Why not?" She said, "Let's go and see Tommy." And I didn't really know much about it, but when I did go and see it, I it was amazing from the the opening minute, superb. If you ever get to see a production of it, thoroughly recommend it. But no, the Who was the the soundtrack to to so many people's lives in the the sixties, seventies, and eighties. I I came on board when they were doing things like "You Better You Bet." No, I think they've written some of the, the greatest rock songs of all time. I do love the song Bubba O'Reilly, which... Um, keyboard riff's incredible. ...is often, I think, Googled under the title Teenage Wasteland. I think people don't know the actual title to that. And I have to say, ending on a slightly dark note, um, I would have remembered Aminta, who I can't claim to have known despite sitting feet away from her. I would have remembered her because Pete Townsend was investigated by the Metropolitan Police as part of Operation Or, I think. And this was about 2002, 2003. He was just doing research, all innocent, apparently. Well, it's so funny you say that, because 
whenever anybody in this sort of category of investigation would be in the news, and I'm presenting radio shows six days a week at this time, it was always the line. He was just doing research. And it's extraordinary. I know of a case even two to three years ago in the Northeast where somebody who was sentenced still trotted out that line. And there are very legitimate reasons, for example, where you could say you were just doing research. I've written a book for an undercover policeman who worked in this field. I could have legitimately said I was doing some research. As it happened, I didn't need to do any of that research because he gave me that information orally. There are some exceptions to the just doing research line that are genuine research calls. But today's world and Wikipedia never lets stuff like that go away. And by association, I get from a Minter Townsend to to that story. And really, who knows what the truth is? And there, I think we will leave it with so many people still to mention. Ted Kravitz, you didn't make it this time around, but maybe you will in a future episode. Thank you so much for listening. And as ever, I'll remind you that times of joy and times of sorrow, we'll always see it through. I don't care what comes tomorrow, we can face it together the way old friends do. For more on this podcast, head over to secretsofaghostwriter.com. Still in Love with the X is a horny media and publishing production.